It's good to worship our God together. I'm going to continue looking at Hebrews uh, just for a few moments now before we take communion together in a bit. Um, if you've got the book of Hebrews in front of you, or if you've got the Bible, I should say, the book of Hebrews is within it, um, it'd be good to have it open. Um, if you need a Bible, there's some out the back uh, there every Sunday. If you, if you forget it, it's always good to have one open when we look at God's Word. But should we pray? Father God, we thank you, Lord, that we can uh, speak so many great truths, Lord, so easily. Father, I just think of that song, I'm a child of God, and Lord, those words roll off our tongue, and uh, Lord, it's books like the book of Hebrews that remind us, Lord, of just how awesome that is to be able to be called a child of God. Lord, when we think of all that your people in the Old Testament had to do to be close to you, and all we need to do is put our faith in Jesus Christ, and we're known as your children in your family. And Lord, we thank you for those great truths, and may we be a people that meditate on them, uh, and don't just take them for granted or become so familiar that we forget just how amazing it is to be known as a child of God. And Lord, just be with us now as we just look at your word together. We look at this um, book of Hebrews, this letter of Hebrews, I should say, and that you will just open our hearts and may your spirit work through us now and speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, every few years, a, a film comes out that's grossly overrated, and, uh, and this current overrated film is The Greatest Showman. Uh, some of you may have had the, uh, the pleasure of watching it. I won't lie to you, I quite like it. Um, but it isn't all that great. Anyway, that's not what this is about. And The Greatest Showman has taken the world by storm. Anyone seen it? Hands up if you've seen it. That's not bad. Normally churches are the last people to watch a popular film. There's one person who puts their hand up and then everyone's thinking, oh, what's that? I've never heard of that. Anyway, um, but The Greatest Showman, is a, not, it's not a bad film. It's slightly historically inaccurate, but that's a different thing. But one of my favorite songs on the film is between uh, Zac Efron and, uh, and Hugh Jackman over there. You can see and it's called The Other Side. Uh, it's not about death or anything like that. Um, now, uh, and in this song, Barnum, who's uh, Hugh Jackman there on the uh, right, so he's not called Zac Efron, by the way, Zac Efron's the guy on the left. Some of you already know that. Anyway, and so he's trying to get this young Zac Efron, on the left, not on the right, his name's on the right, to uh, join him on his sort of circus and to go off, and he's quite sort of world to do. He's in with all the sort of richer people, the upper escalons of society, and he sort of says to him in this song as they're singing to each other that really he needs to give up his old life his old way, and follow him. Oh, sorry, that was a mistake. Um, I see myself more Zac Efron these days. Um, I did see myself as Hugh Jackman a few months ago, a few weeks ago, but it was pointed out to me that that was incorrect, that I was nothing like Hugh Jackman, so I assume what they meant was that I was probably more like Zac Efron on the left. I'm a very logical person, and I think my logic is flawless there. Anyway, so, um, so he sort of says to him simply, you know, come with me, go with me, give up all that you've done, and follow me, you're going to have a better life, you're going to laugh, everything's going to be better than what it was. In a sense, as we go through the book of Hebrews, um, that's essentially what the writer of Hebrews is trying to do to this group of Christians who have begun compromising their faith. We can get rid of that now, Gavin. <laughs> um, that's a distraction. I can feel people looking at me differently, thinking, not in a good way. Anyway, um, but in a sense, that's what the book of Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews is trying to do, is sort of appealing to these Christians who are shrinking back, they're compromising their faith, they're getting some opposition for what they believe, so they're sort of changing it, they're modifying it, they're going back to Judaism, uh, the Old Testament rituals, and really what he's saying, he's saying that don't go back there, that's no good, you need to stick with Jesus, this is better, this is where you'll laugh, this is where you have your joy, this is where you'll have your life. He is better than the Old Testament system of religion. And he makes this point right across the letter of Hebrews, all 13 chapters. And he's making the point, not just that faith in Jesus is better than Old Testament rituals, 
But as he makes that point, he makes over and over another point. He reminds them as he does it of all the things they have in Christ. We speak of being Christians, we, we talk of being in Christ. I wasn't a Christian, now I'm in Christ. I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. That means I'm in his family, I'm with him, I'm close to him, I follow him. And he, he's basically making this point that he's better than the Old Testament system of religion. And actually, and as he does that, he just wonderfully lays out all the things they have in Christ through faith in Jesus. And I want to just share some of those things with you this morning um, because I think they're wonderful and well worth being reminded of. Uh, but before, before I do that, I came across a quote um, this week about the book of Hebrews. And this was given uh, not by someone who'd never preached before, but by a man who had preached regularly. He's a well-known uh, preacher, a speaker. And he said this about his attempt to go through the book of Hebrews. And I thought it was quite good. He described his attempts at preaching through this letter as similar to a nursery school child trying to paint a replica of a Rembrandt. Now here is a man who knows his stuff. Here is a man who preached and taught all over the place. But when he's faced with such a complex, beautiful letter as Hebrews, he says, even my best efforts are like that of a child trying to recreate a replica of Rembrandt. And, uh, and actually, there's so much that we've said in these last couple of weeks. And there's so much we've got to say today and we're going to say next week. But it feels very much like the starter of a, a meal out. Um, this is very much uh, a flavor. Even uh, some well-known ministers and men have spent years going through Hebrews. Even they would say they haven't even begun to scratch the surface. You know when you go for a meal out and you're starving? Uh, which is always the case. I never, I never go to a restaurant hungry because... Uh, I try desperately not to eat before I leave the house, but I end up snacking and then get into a restaurant full up. But you know when you're starving and you get there and you have your plate of chicken wings, for starters, obviously that's the only thing you have, and you eat those down and you think, oh, fool, it's, it's hit the spot, but I'm still hungry for more. And really, as we look at the book of Hebrews, it sort of hits the spot, and we know there's more to look at. There's so much more to devour. There are phrases in this book that could have a week or a year studying, like that phrase in chapter 1, majesty of heaven. And a bit later on, describing Jesus as the pioneer of their salvation or the anchor of our soul. There are phrases like that dotted all over this letter. It's beautiful. It's complicated. It's wonderful. And there's a lifetime to study this book. And I hope that after starters in these four weeks that you will go away and devour it for your main course. And so the writer of Hebrews is showing these Jewish Christians reminding them of the superiority of Jesus Christ compared to the Old Testament law. We said a lot of that yes last week. He's always reminding them of what they have and what we have in Christ alone. And today I want to just share a few. And the first thing he reminds them is, uh, is that they belong to Jesus Christ. They have a belonging to Jesus. In chapter 2, verses 10 to 13, this uh, section deals all with who Jesus is. He's the second person of the Trinity, making the point that he's greater than the angels in heaven, that he's come down to earth as a man, and he's been made like us to die for us in our place. And in chapter 2, verses 10 to 13, the writer of Hebrews says this, In bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through what he suffered both the one who makes people holy and those who are are made holy are of the same family think about that what an amazing thing to say that you're the same family as jesus christ the second person of the trinity he says so jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters 
He says, I will declare your name to my brothers and sisters in the assembly. I will sing your praises. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, he says, here I am and the children God has given me. What an amazing part of chapter 2 that is. This section dealing with who Jesus is, making this point, he's been made like us. He is now like us because he took on flesh. He's become like his brothers and sisters. And this passage itself will be worth spending a whole lifetime on, that God the Son took on flesh and bone. He became one of us. He entered human history, and for one reason alone, to die on a cross with nails and humiliation, so that we, who are broken, who are fragile, may be free. And as if this section couldn't get any more amazing, we then hear that Jesus is not ashamed to call us brothers and sisters, not of each other, but of him. What an amazing thought. If you think about who Jesus Christ is, go to Revelation chapter 1 and read how John sees a glorified Jesus in that white robe and the hair and the eyes and the way his voice is like a sharp double-edged sword. See the link um, from one of our memory verses. And he calls us brothers and sisters. Isn't that the most amazing thing to think about? And if you think not really, you haven't got it. Because it ought to be the most amazing thing to think about. And when you think of it, for those Jewish people who were so detached, so distant from that holy place in the temple, unable to get to the Holy of Holies, in fact, they could only be in that room via a great high priest, to know that through Christ they could belong to God's very own family must have been something astounding. What a great way to remind people to not give up on Jesus. But isn't this what people crave? Don't people crave somewhere to belong? And don't people crave, more importantly, someone to belong to? I'm sure many of you have seen that classic film in the 90s, Toy Story. I'm really laughing, it's a classic. Forget Gone with the Wind, an invasion of the body snatchers to the second remake. This is a classic. And Woody, the cowboy, um, belongs to Andy. Don't laugh, Harry, come on. I know you've seen it. (laughs) Pat, next time when it's Harry's birthday, I know what to get him. But Woody, there's a picture of him uh, below. Woody uh, is feeling lost. He's feeling a bit like he doesn't belong anywhere, wondering if anyone loves him or he's got any value. And I believe it was little Bo Peep who said very importantly to him, Andy, look under your foot. And under his foot, not Andy, sorry, Woody, look under your foot. And at the bottom of his shoe, Andy, who owns him, has scratched his name because Woody, the toy, belongs to Andy, the little boy. And isn't this what a picture of being a Christian is? That actually the name Christ is scribbled on all over my soul because I'm a child of God. He's my, I'm his brother. He refers to me in that intimate way. And that's what Jesus does for every human being that chooses to follow him. We get to belong. We get to be home. We get to have our king. And in doing that, we discover who we really are. So we get to belong. And the writer of Hebrews makes this point very well. Second thing that comes across from the book of Hebrews about being in Christ, what we have in Jesus, is that we become fearless in Christ, we have a lack of fear. And I love this bit of Hebrews. I love it because it's such a lovely line. There's so many great lines in the book of Hebrews. But in this same section, he carries on this theme of Jesus dying for us, fragile human beings. He follows on from this thought of Jesus tasting death for humanity. And in verses 14 to 15, the writer says, Since the children have flesh and blood, he too, that's Jesus, shared in their humanity, so that by his death, He might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is, the devil, 
and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. I think that is the most amazing line in this chapter. I love it. Jesus' death for us, which was once and for all, dealt not just with our sin, but since the wages of sin are death, and he died for us, when we follow him, he doesn't just take away our sin, he takes away that penalty of death. And when he rose again, that meant that we too will rise from the grave. 1 Corinthians 15 says very confidently, death has lost its sting. People are terrified, as it says in Hebrews chapter 2, held captive by their fear of death. It's a slave master. People are terrified. They do everything they can to avoid the inevitable fact that one out of every one person will die. That is a fact. Yet every generation believes that somehow it won't happen to them. But we all know it will. One out of one person will die. But when we follow Jesus Christ, death ceases to be our final inevitability. Instead, the words of John 3.16 become our new inevitability, our new reality. But we shall not perish, but have eternal life, everlasting life. I was asked by another group of uh, year four children. I spent my last couple of weeks speaking to year four kids. Just, um, they didn't never invite me in, I just turned up to their classrooms. And... Um, and after talking about the Bible, one, I think it was a, a boy, I can't remember, a girl, um, put a hand out, the girl put a hand out, and she said to me, so Christians then, um, are you frightened of being dead? I thought, wow, that's intense, isn't it? Um, it's only Tuesday. Anyway, and so I said to her, I said, no. I said, Christians aren't frightened of being dead. I'm not bothered by the thought that in 40 years, hopefully, um, not too soon, um, I'll be dead. doesn't bother me. Because I know I have an inheritance. I know death has lost its sting. I know I'm coming back out of the grave to with a perfect body to live in heaven. We had four weeks on heaven at the beginning of this year. I said to her, however, saying that, I'm not particularly keen the dying bit. Because I hear from a good source that that's not very nice and hurts a bit. So the dying bit, not so much. But being dead, it's okay. Because death has been swallowed up in victory. And this is the most wonderful thought. Because life is so short. And it goes in the blink of an eye, doesn't it? Everybody says it, no one believes it. Everybody says it, no one believes it. But what this life is that we lead now is like a prelude, uh, prelude to the first chapter, as C.S. Lewis says, of the most amazing story yet to be told. In the Chronicles of Narnia, that's where he says that life is like a prelude, this life here before the grave, to the most amazing story that's not ever been told yet that will go on and on and on the most amazing story will make this bit look nothing how many people in this room are investing in the prelude rather than the main story how many of us live as if this is it rather than the kingdom of god that is coming and living if that is it if you died this morning let me ask you a question are you ready to meet a holy god are you ready to stand before the King of Kings when he asks you, did you follow my son, Jesus Christ? What will you say, yes or no? Because that answer will define your eternity. Has your sin been dealt with? Do you follow the one who died and rose again? Do you have that same confidence that the writer of the book of Hebrews has? Fearlessness in the face of the grave. Third thing that he reminds his Christians they have in Christ is access to God. And perhaps this is the core message of the book. Um, after speaking about the Sabbath rest for God's people over in chapter 4, not to mean one day a week, but to mean something deeper, something greater, a rest found only through faith in Jesus Christ, an eternal rest, one that's for the soul. 
but can only be found because Jesus is the eternal high priest. He says this from verse 14 to verse 16. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. This is fantastic. Because of Jesus, because he's that great high priest, we through faith in him are able to enter the holy place, the very presence of God. Chapter 10 verse 9 puts it like this, and he said, here am I, here I am, I have come to do your will. Hang on, 19, sorry. Um, 19, sorry. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, we have confidence to enter the most holy place. What does it mean by confidence? Well, the writer is reminding these Jewish followers is that actually to enter God's presence before Jesus was dangerous. That most holy place in the middle of the temple uh, was a place that no sinful person could stand. And they had to go through this elaborate ritual to make themselves as pure as they could and then enter the Holy of Holies where the Ark of the Covenant was and God's presence rested. And yet we are able to enter that presence every moment of every day through prayer and through worship and through being in Christ. God is holy. He's later described as a consuming fire. If you read The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe again, uh, Lucy, I believe, asks... um, or Mr. Tumnus, I can never remember, of Aslan, is he safe? And uh, one of them two replies, of course he's not safe. He's a lion, but he is good. He's good. And so people say, well, you know, is it dangerous to be near a holy God? Yeah, he's holy, but he is good. And he sent his son Jesus so that we could enter that most holy place. I once years ago went to uh, Florida with the family. We went to Bible land in Florida. It's quite good. It sounds rubbish, but it's actually quite good. Anyway, and they have a, a replica of the temple in Bible land. I hope, we're going to go again at some point. Hopefully they've improved it. Um, anyway, and they reenacted the priest going into the Holy of Holies on the Day of Atonement. And, um, and I hadn't really realized, which was years ago, but what they used to do apparently is they tie a rope around the priest's ankle. And the priest would go into the Holy of Holies. And the reason they did that was because if for some reason the priest committed a sin and died because they're in the presence of a holy God, then no one could just wander in and get him out. They'd have to pull him out like that. You think about that. You think about what a message that is. And then you say to these people, now through faith in Christ, you can enter that room with confidence. Not trepidation, not fear, but confidence. You don't need a, a rope around the ankle in case you mess up. Because Christ has covered your sin and covered it entirely. Psalm chapter Psalm, Psalm 24, verse 3 to 4, says this. Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? The one who has clean hands and a pure heart. Who does not t- trust in an idol or swear by a false god. Anyone here got clean hands and a pure heart? Not one single human being. And then Psalm 51 verse 7 says this. Cleanse me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. The Old Testament law didn't make people as white as snow. But faith in Christ 
cleanses us from all sin, makes us holy in the sight of a holy God so we can enter that place and find the rest we long for. There's a great story about Abraham Lincoln um, at the end of the Civil War over in the United States. A dejected Confederate soldier was sitting outside the grounds of the White House. A young boy approached him and inquired why he was so sad. The soldier related how he had repeatedly tried to see President Lincoln to tell him how he was unjustly deprived of certain lands in the South following the war. On each occasion as he attempted to enter the White House, the guards crossed their bayoneted guns in front of the door and turned him away. The boy motioned to the soldier to follow him. When they approached the gate, the entrance, the guards came to attention, stepped back and opened the door for the boy. He proceeded to the library where the president was resting and he introduced the soldier to his father. The boy was Tad Lincoln. The soldier had gained an audience with the president for the president's son. We gain an audience with God the Father, with God the Son. Many people mistakenly think that heaven is full of good people and hell is full of bad people. And that's how you escape or get to either one. But the only way you get to heaven is by knowing the Son, who can take even the worst of sinners into God's coming kingdom. The fourth thing uh, we're reminded of is transformation. In Christ we have transformation. And just two very quick things. The writer reminds those Jews who are following, going back to Old Testament law, the Old Testament law failed to change them. And in chapter 9, he reminds them that faith in Christ removed their sin, took it out of them, took it away from them. But then in verses 13 to 14, he writes how we have a cleansed conscience. I wonder how many human beings would love to have a cleansed conscience. When you have a laptop that gets a bit corrupted, what do you do? You wipe it, a factory reset, right back to the beginning. It's cleansed of all of its viruses. In Christ, we can have that washing of our sin. Our conscience can be cleansed. And finally, in Christ, we have a kingdom. In chapter 12 of Hebrews, right near the end, right near the end, he almost ends with these most wonderful words, verse 28 to 29. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. So much of what we have is temporary. Houses built on sand. But God gives his followers an amazing inheritance. One that will not spoil or fade. One that will not change depending on markets. A kingdom that cannot be shaken. And a hope that will, that will not disappoint. And a life that will not end. And so the writer of Hebrews makes that point over and over and over again. But the hope of the world is and is only Jesus Christ. He is God's son, our saviour. Their great high priest, he died and rose again. He took our sin and paid the price. He stood where we can't so we can stand where we can't in the presence of our holy God. He is God the son as a man, fully God and fully man at the same time. He stood in the great divide between sinner and God the Father. He links heaven to earth. He reached down to bring us home. And the message to the Hebrews is that Jesus did for you what the law never ever could. And today we say the same point that faith in Christ does for you what nothing or no one else ever can. Give us everlasting life. He gives life and he gives peace. He is our only saviour and we follow him to the very end and then we follow him through the end into everlasting life. And so this week... 
It's time to be bold. It's time to be courageous. Come to the conference. It's time to stand up. It's time to stand strong. It's time to stand and live as people who know God as Father. To live as people who are unafraid of death. To act like people who belong to the most royal of families, that of the King of Kings. Don't be timid about what you believe. Don't hide what you stand for. Be sure of it. Think of Jesus as the author and perfecter of your faith and live and walk with him every single day. To pray. Lord God, we just lift up, Lord, this book to you. And Lord, it just is a, a treasure trove, Lord, of so many things we could just dwell on and think about. And Lord, I think it was Martin Lloyd-Jones it was 13 years to go through it. And Lord, what an amazing thought that is. So many people assume that once we've read something, Lord, oh, it's easy to get ahead around here. But Lord, so much in this book is worthy of pondering and thinking about. And Lord, as we come to take communion in a moment, Lord, may you just remind us of some of what we've thought about. Lord, as we enter your holy presence, even now as we pray, that most holy place, Lord, it's only because of Christ's death on the cross. May we be thankful, as it says in chapter 12. May we be thankful for the kingdom you're giving us, unshakable, and we too are unshakable people. Lord, may we stand and stand strong this week. May we be courageous in all that we do. In Jesus' name, our Saviour. Amen.